0: This is message number 10 in our series from Genesis. There are 24 messages in the series, so we are approaching the halfway mark, and aren't we having a good time learning from Genesis? Our message is titled today, Out of Testing Comes Faith. Now it is important that you listen carefully today because it's your pastor teaching you. There are many teachers with tapes today, teaching certain doctrines that are contrary to what I'm going to teach you today. And I'm right. (laughs) God hath put in the church some pastors, and he's put me here to teach you the truth of Genesis 22. Now, to begin with, we are helped by the Living Bible translation in verse 1 of chapter 22. Where the word tempt is translated test, and accurately so, so that we would read God tested Abraham's faith and obedience. Now, I want to make a statement that is foundational for this whole message, and I want you to get it. True faith is always tested, nobody gets off scot free. True faith is always tested. It is only through testing that we discover what kind of faith we have, whether it's good faith or not. And everybody has faith. Peter said so. God hath given to every man a measure of faith. Everybody has it. It's just how you're using it. Now let me cover that again. It is only through testing that we discover what kind of faith we have. It is only through testing that we discover how deep is the soil of our heart, whether it's deep soil and the seed goes deep, or whether it's the, so- the seed that falls on the surface among thorns or in rocky places and does not bring forth fruit. I further want to say to you that all of the tests that come to us are opportunities for growth and victory. And that's why God allows them. They are opportunities for growth and for victory. I read a statement by Alexander McLaren that really blessed me when he was writing on this matter of the testing of our faith. He said, God puts us into his gymnasium to improve our physique. Now, I like that, and I think it's true, to increase our strength, to increase our growth, and to intensify the victory so that God will get glory. I further want to say to you in my introduction that God tempts no man. James tells us that in his little epistle. Satan tempts us to bring out the worst in us. God tests us to bring out the best in us. Now, if you get that, it was well worth your effort to get to church today. That's choice. Satan tempts us to bring out the worst in us. God tests us to bring out the best in us. And there's a big difference. Now, the last thing in my introduction, before I get to the three points I want to leave with you, is choice as well. Sharp trial means increased possession of God. Many of you have said, I want to know God better. Be careful what you say. Trial increases our possession of God. Whether you read in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, any of the Old Testament books, whether you read about Daniel, Jeremiah, Moses, Abraham, you are reading the same thing. Their sharp trial increased their possession of God. Whether you're reading in the New Testament about Paul and Silas, about Peter, about James or John, you're reading about the same thing. Their sharp trial increased their possession of God, and it will do the same today. If you want more of God, God will probably lead you through some place of testing that you will find him to be mighty and sufficient and you will say, looking back, I know God better now than ever and I seem to possess more of God now than I have ever possessed of God before. So it isn't bad, you see. The three points of Genesis 22 are the test of faith, the promise of faith, and the reward of faith. Let us first look at the test of faith. Before we talk about Abraham, let's talk about Jesus. Jesus is our example in everything. So, when we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus was subjected to this kind of test, particularly in two incidents in the wilderness and in Gethsemane. We often say in regard to the wilderness experience of Jesus that he was tempted of the devil, and that's accurate. But we could also say he was tested by the Father, and that would be accurate. Jesus had to prove where his devotion was before He healed the sick, raised the dead, or preached deliverance to the captives. And he proved where his devotion was in the testing of the wilderness. He was mighty in the Word and in his faith in God's ability to keep him even through the temptations of the devil. In Gethsemane, he was so tested that the Bible tells us that out of the pores of his skin came sweat like drops of blood. The intensity was so great, the test was so mighty, that he swept great drops of blood as he battled this thing of flesh and spirit. In the flesh, he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. For in that cup he saw the crown of thorns, he saw the 39 lashes on his back, he saw the nails, he saw the pulling of his beard and the spitting in his face and the beating with the cane by the soldiers of his head and his body. He saw in that cup the agony of crucifixion. So in the flesh, he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. But in the spirit, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And when he went through that testing before, he said, Father, nevertheless, there came blood from the pores of his flesh because of the battle going on to prove where his allegiance was to the call of God for to the call of the world and the call of ease. He came through with flying colors. He is our example. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And the Old Testament says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with half of thine heart. with a quarter of your heart. No, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. And God puts us sometimes through the furnace to see if we are going to follow the teaching of both Old and New Testament in that regard. To see whether earthly love or heavenly obedience is the stronger. That's why the test. Glance down through these verses in Genesis 22 with me as we look at Abraham and how God dealt with him. Verse 2 says, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. It's almost like God was rubbing it in. Take your son, take your only son, whom thou lovest. Can you imagine the pressure he felt? Verse 3. Abraham takes with him Isaac, his son. Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood and laid it upon Isaac, his son. Verse 7, And Isaac spoke unto Abraham, his father. Verse 7, Abraham answers him, Here I am, my son. Verse 8, My son God will provide. Verse 9, Abraham bound Isaac, His son, verse 10, and Abraham took the knife to slay his son. Can you feel that? What's going on here? The emphasis of his son and my father, the closeness of the arrangement God had brought them into. And now he's saying, take the life of your son. The turmoil that must have been there in this test. How easy it would have been. How easy it would be for me to understand it if Abraham would have turned and ran the other direction from Mount Moriah. But he didn't. And verse 13 is a great, great verse. Abraham offered up a ram for a burnt offering. Get this, instead of his son. Glory to God. The reward of his faith he offered up a ram that God provided in that moment instead of his son how terrible was his task you feel it as you read these verses his dearest and best has a sacrifice to his god but it proved that in his heart Moses or rather Abraham had set up a throne for God God was on the throne of his heart. And we must ask ourselves in this service today, is God on the throne of our heart? The dearest and best of this world to us must not take his place. Some have had to make the choice between earthly and heavenly love. By God's providence, some have been called to give up the light of their eyes the joy of their homes, or the opportunity of a lifetime for him. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's part of the gospel we do not like to talk about. We do not like to counter with. We'd like to pass it by, but it's there. There. This whole episode in Genesis seemed to dash the very hopes and aims of Abraham's life. The lesson is to go straight ahead on the path of faith, wherever that path leads, even if it's the death of this promised son. Hebrews eleven seventeen 17 through 19 shows us the tremendous insight that Abraham had with God when we read, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried offered up Isaac, his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. In other words, if God would not have provided that ram in the thicket and that knife had gone through the heart of his boy, Abraham still believed that God would raise him from the dead. If need be, that was the extent of his faith. When the path brings you to inaccessible cliffs, be sure that God will have some ledge there. If the path brings you to a deep and bridgeless stream, you will find a place to walk through when you get to the water's edge, just like the children of Israel at the Red Sea. If the mountains in your way seem to draw together, barring your path, Know that when you really reach them, they will open up, though it may be only wide enough to squeeze through. You will get through if you have faith. I read with interest the account of David Wilkerson in The Cross and the Switchblade when he was at the crisis point of his ministry to the gangs of New York City. God laid it on his heart to plan a rally at St. John's Arena in the Bronx. People said, you're crazy. Those gangs will come together and kill each other inside of the building. Mickey Cruz and his gang on one side, others on the other side. And sure enough, it looked bad. They started jeering one another. They had their chains, their knives, their zip guns sat there with hats on and made fun of the music and the singers. David Wilkerson stood looking at what was happening and wondered what to do when God spoke to him and said, Have the leaders of the gangs take the offering. He called up Nicky Cruz. He called up leaders of both gangs and he said, I'm going to appoint you. Nikki and anybody you suggest to take up the offering. And he said, when you've taken the offering, bring it down this aisle and go around the back of the stage and bring it to me, and we will dedicate it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you've got to remember who those ushers were. They didn't have an honest bone in their body. Everything they got, they got by fever and Sneaking around, they were known to kill for anything. And here was David Wilkerson saying, take the offering and when you've got it, come back around here into this room, and it was out of sight of anybody, and there was a door right there out to the street. Test of faith. You see, in the natural, we would imagine that when the offering was received, the ushers would keep going rather than coming back down to the front like ours did this morning. But they got a good offering because those fellas stood at the aisle shaking the cup if the people didn't put in what they thought they should put in, and they stood there with the cup in front of their nose until they dug back into the pocketbook. I like that. And when it was all done, they all walked around the corner and down into that room and disappeared from sight. And that was the moment of testing. They had a little conversation in there. One gang said, let's split. That preacher's crazy if he thinks we're going to march up there and give him this money. It was at that point that Nicky Cruz said, that's why we're going to do it. Nobody thinks we'll do it. And we're going to show them, and that dumb preacher, that we're going to do it. And the other gang leader said, man, that's cool. (laughs) So out they marched onto the platform and handed those dedicated receptacles of faith to David Wilkerson and stood there while he dedicated the money to the Lord Jesus Christ. They went and sat down, and there wasn't a sound other than the voice of the preacher thundering the truth of Calvary and a love that reached them through the sacrifice of God's dear Son. And when it was over, Nicky Cruz sprang to his feet, darted to the platform and said, I'm giving my heart to Jesus. Israel, His right hand man followed him and when he was given a Bible opened it up and with excitement said my name is in the Bible. In fact it's almost on every page of the Bible. Israel, Israel, Israel. The testing of faith. Faith is when you don't have anything. There is no visible proof that you'll ever make it through the mountain or through the sea, but that's when Jehovah Jireh comes in in power. you will make a way. Did it for Abraham. He'll do it for you. The second part is the promise of faith. As Abraham and Isaac were traveling up the hill, the boy said to the dad, "Where is the lamb?" And that was a good question. Where is the lamb? And Abraham answered in verse 8, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. How beautiful that is. When we get to some place, some tight, difficult circumstance, we will find some lamb caught in the thicket by its horns as heaven supplies what is needed. Verse 14, And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. It became a proverb, for the verse further reads, as it is said to this day, from generation to generation, it was taught to the children that there on that mount, God provided a ram for Abraham. And he did not have to offer up his son, that God provided the sacrifice, and Abraham called it Jehovah-Jireh God will provide, and it is spoken to this day. Oh, how wonderful that when our faith is tried and is proven, that it becomes a testimony to the world of the power of God at work. Why is the world turned off to church? Why is the world turned off to so-called Christianity? Because they never see a miracle. They never see the result of faith. It's all a dry, dull thing. It's never God did this, you see. And the world must see that God is alive. God is at work. God will honor the faith of a man or a woman. All they see is the work of our own hands the conniving of our own minds. What they need to see is Jehovah-Jireh, the provision of God. And every one of us has the opportunity to display that in the world. Further notice, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. That is a significant statement. When you live in fellowship with Him, drink of His fullness, meditate on Him. His provision is realized. You'll never get it by meditating on the TV guide. You'll never get it by meditating on the bank account or the balances. You'll never get it by meditating on the things your intellect can derive and dream up. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Hallelujah. Oh, how we need to learn that. It doesn't make sense. There's no rationale to it. There is no rationale in a father raising a knife and saying, I'm going to put it into the heart of my only son. No rationale, no knowledge at all at work there. Only faith in a living God who told him to do it. How difficult it is for us to come into the promise of faith. We'd like to work it out ourselves. That's why church is so important that we keep regular and come every time the doors are open because we experience communion of the heart. You cannot enjoy the provision of faith unless you encourage yourself in God. Unless you have communion of the heart, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you knew the land where this story happened, it would help you too. All around the Mount of the Lord is a waste wilderness of famine and of death. It's where Bishop Pike perished when he went out into the desert. And so how significant that the Bible says in the Mount of the Lord it shall be provided, because everything apart from the Mount of the Lord is waste, it's desert, it's futile. But in the Mount of the Lord there is blessing, in the Mount of the Lord there is provision, in the mound of the Lord there is healing. In the mound of the Lord there is strength. In the mound of the Lord is the ram. Caught in the thicket out there is all waste and barrenness. The poorest in God's family of faith are richer than the wealthiest of this world as they seek to satisfy the gnawing of their hearts. Notice Abraham. He piles the wood slowly. He binds the boy slowly. He unsheaths the knife slowly. Still no provision, he lifts his hand slowly, then it comes. At the very limit, God comes to provide. Forced to desperation we often feel, but that is the way God works. The experience of deliverance, the sense of need that we feel, it's God's way of ministering to us. Up to the very edge, Abraham was driven before the voice was heard and the ram was seen. Though his heart was breaking inside of him as he moved closer to the human sacrifice, Abraham believed God. That's a message for us in this 20th century. I would like to take this second point just one step further. Our duties may sometimes appear impossible. They may even look dreadful, yet when the heart is yielded in obedience and we are ready to do the will of God, strength comes to us equal to the responsibility, equal to the task, sufficient for the challenge. It says in our hearts, God will provide. If he has put us there, it's his divine responsibility. And to some of you I feel I'm speaking today whose duties seem impossible, whose circumstances seem beyond your ability, yield your heart in obedience to God. He will give you a sufficiency for the challenge. He will make a way when there seems to be no way. God will be there to do what you could never do if you'll just believe and trust Him, have faith in Him. His promise is sufficient for your need. Now, the third thing is the reward of faith. Verse 12 shows God's acceptance and approval when the angel said, Now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. We talk a lot in church about reward, and it's usually in regard to eternity. How many crowns? How many jewels in the crown? What size of mansion will have? But in my opinion, the noblest of all aims and the greatest of all rewards is the reward that Abraham got in verse 12 when the angel spoke to him and said, I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, From me, it is well-pleasing to him. That is our noblest aim. That is our reward at being accepted by God. This is well-pleasing to God, Abraham. What a reward to hear the angel say, this is well-pleasing to the Father. We like to be accepted by loved ones and friends, every one of us likes that feeling, but can you imagine the feeling of being accepted by God, to have God say to you in some way, you're well-pleasing to me, I'm satisfied with you, I'm pleased with your act, I am glorified through your decision and through your action, this is well-pleasing to me, oh, what a reward, what fulfillment, and that's what happened to Abraham. Then I see the reward was a deeper insight into the will of God. That ram in the thicket taught Abraham and his sons that God appointed and provided a lamb for an offering. It was a picture of the coming Messiah, the Savior who would redeem the whole world, the substitute who would bear the sins of the whole world. And then finally, this story teaches me something very important about life. And it is this, that which we surrender is given back. How precious now this thing is. He was willing to lay that boy on the altar who had been given as a miracle at the age of 100 and the age of 90. Abraham being 100, Sarah being 90, when Isaac was given as a miracle from God, how the community must have been talking when Sarah gave birth. But can you imagine how they're talking now as he is given back the second time to his parents a double blessing, a double miracle, born a miracle, delivered by a miracle, God will give us back our sacrifices if we will just make them in faith that Jehovah will be the God of might and of miracle. Why do we not trust him more? We will never know how sweet those blessings can be until we fully yield to him that which we have. Listen to these words of Jesus in Luke 18. There is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come, life everlasting. The reward of faith is a great reward. Often in the trials of our lives, we get the feeling that God has forgotten our address, I have a feeling that that's true about many of you in church today and many watching us by television and listening through other means. You have the feeling that God doesn't know where you live. Everything has turned against you and the result is you sink into despair. We have a statement that says, I'm reaching up to touch the bottom. And some of you are right there today, but I want this story to lift you up. The test of faith brings the promise of faith, and it brings the reward of faith. The last chapter of your life has not been written as yet. Let God be God in the circumstance. Charles Edison told of his father inventor, Thomas A. Edison, At the age of 67 years, the great Edison Industries were practically destroyed by fire. Mr. Edison lost $2 million in one night, and much of his life's work went up in smoke. Young Edison was 24 years old when this occurred, and he remembered it well. He said the fire was raging, burning down Dad's factory. He said, I was running frantically around trying to find my father. Finally, I saw him standing near the fire, his white hair blowing in the December winds. He happened to see me as my heart was aching for him. And as he spotted me, he shouted, Charles, where's your mother? Charles responded, I don't know. the inventor father said, go find her, bring her here. She will never see anything like this again as long as she lives. How unusual. The next day, walking about the charred embers of all his hopes and dreams, Thomas Edison said, and his son reported it, there is great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up, thank you. God, we can start anew. Hallelujah. Do you know that is a biblical principle? Absolutely. Thank God for disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. We can start anew. And in three weeks from the day, Thomas Edison's hopes and dreams seemingly to the world went up in smoke, Thomas Edison delivered the first phonograph. I wonder how many phonographs will come out of this meeting. I wonder how many ideas will come, how many things God will say and God will do because we're stopped. We're going to stop doing it our way and we're going to stop looking at the tests and the trials that we face as though some horrible disaster had fallen us and we are going to shout glory to God. I don't have to go through that again. And God is about to burst on the scene with something beautiful and something good that will give me a greater possession of him. Jesus said in John 16:33 In the world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer I have overcome the world. Hallelujah. Now friends this is your moment of truth. This is your moment of explosion. This is your moment to move in to a new realm of spiritual life and spiritual victory. This is a moment that God has chosen for us to be together. This is a moment when new things will happen. You will hear things you haven't heard. You will feel things you haven't felt. God will move you into a new relationship with Him if you will accept the test as though it were from God himself, and he's about to put a ram in the thicket to supply or to, to take the place of that which you thought you were going to have to sacrifice for some reason or another. God will be there to give you a double blessing if you learn this great secret that Abraham teaches us in Genesis 22. You don't always enjoy going up to the mount and carrying the wood And speaking to our son as though he were the sacrifice. But I'll tell you the results are enjoyable. And they are a testimony to all mankind of Jehovah Jireh God will provide. Will you let him do a new work in you today? Will you let him open up in you the reservoirs of God's power and God's grace? Every one of you has faith. It's just a matter now of putting it to use, taking it out of the closet and making it available to the situation that confronts you. Let's stand quietly and reverently throughout the sanctuary. At the conclusion of the first service this morning, I had a great awareness of God working miracles in the lives of people. And I want that same awareness at the conclusion of this service. So no one moving for a few moments, please. Let us not disturb the seeking of some heart nearby. God's for you. God loves you. God has not forgotten your address. God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly the circumstances you face, just as he knew Abraham's circumstances. And you trust him like Father Abraham. You're in the gymnasium to improve your physique. Don't fight it. Yield to it and look around for the ram in the thicket. It will be there. It will be there. Bow your heads, please. And while our heads are bowed and no one's looking around, just for privacy, there are some of you in church this morning who need to have a faith in God for the forgiveness of your sins. You need to be forgiven. And that takes faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, God's sacrifice. I would like to pray for you today. If you would like that experience... And you would like me to pray for you. I want you to raise your hand where you stand and say, Pastor, with his hand, I want the forgiveness of my sins and I believe Jesus can do it for me. Thank you back there under the balcony. God bless you. Raise them up over to my right. Thank you. Raise them up in the balcony. Anywhere, raise them up. Right down here. Thank you. Over here and over to my left and up there in the balcony. Thank you. And up there in the front of the balcony. God bless you. And over here to my right. God bless you over here. Thank you, under the balcony, yes, I see your hand. And up here, yes, I believe Jesus, I believe Jesus can forgive me and will forgive me. I have faith in him. Pray for me, Pastor. Thank you, yes, back under the balcony, I see that hand back there. there more, over here, thank you, God bless you. How many of you feel your? thank you, another hand back there, thank you. How many of you feel you're going through the test of faith? It's been hard, but you're going to believe God. You believe what I've said. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Raise it up. Yes, all over the building, all over the building. Just hold them there as I pray, will you? Just hold them there as a sign of your faith. Heavenly Father, I lift these dear friends in prayer to you now. Thank you for the joy of sharing these moments together in this great truth out of Genesis 22. Lord, right now I'm asking you to forgive sin. I'm asking you to come into the lives of those who raise their hands. They're believing Jesus' blood does avail. They believe that there is forgiveness. There can be the experience of power, of love, and of total forgiveness, that guilt can be gone. Forgive them now, and may they know it in their heart. And then for those who are facing the mountain or they're facing the valley, the testing place. Oh God, right now in Jesus' name, give them the awareness of your presence. Give them the awareness of your power. Come to them in deliverance, Lord. Lift them up on top of the thing. Let them look and find a ram in the thicket and may it be a testimony to the world of what God can do, not what we can do. Lord, take over. We lift our hands in obedience. We lift our hands in faith.